1: He'll sit there and go, okay, I can accept that. All right. These are the reasons why he had to go. If he didn't go, none of these would have. And the scriptures clearly show that he had to go to the Father. He had to take his seat, his rightful seat, which is at the right hand of God the Father. A seat, by the way, he still occupies today. He is still on the throne, seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's just waiting for the Father's judge to say, go get him. He's just waiting that time. It would be nice if we could still walk and talk
0: with Jesus. But as Pastor Dave will share today, it was important for our Savior to return to his heavenly home. Jesus had to take his seat on the throne, and we needed to know and live under the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will come back, and we'll see him face to face. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts, chapter 1, as he begins his message, The Ascension of Jesus Christ. You are
1: assured. Today, we're going to continue in our study in the wonderful, exciting book of Acts. We started this study several weeks ago, and we are working our way through the book of Acts line by line, verse upon verse, which is the Calvary Method. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, remember, take a right at the Gospel of John, take a left at Romans, and Acts is sandwiched in the middle. So the book of Acts... Chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 today. Verses 9 through 11 in the book of Acts. Please read silently as I read aloud. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Have you ever said goodbye to someone that you love not knowing if or when you would see them again? Have you ever spent some time with those people that you really, really enjoy and love only to have them leave and you really didn't know if they were going to come back or if you would ever see them at another time in your life? Beatrice and I just spent couple days with our sons and our granddaughter up in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. Now, that doesn't seem like a long way away. However, it's long enough to where we don't get to see them on a regular basis. And we said goodbye to them yesterday. You know, it's always tough to say goodbye. It's always difficult to say goodbye to someone that you love and that you want to see, and you don't know when you're going to see them again because, I mean, their schedules are busy, our schedules are busy. We have a daughter that lives in Colorado, and we hardly ever get to see her. In fact, we saw her about a year ago, August, I guess, was when we saw her. Not going to see her probably again until this coming summer. And every time we say goodbye to them, just like the last few days when we were with our kids, I don't care how long it's been when you're with them, but when you say goodbye, there's a heartache. You feel a sense of loss. Saying goodbye is always difficult, and it's troubling to say the least. You might even shed a tear or two. I know I always do when I'm saying goodbye to the grandkids, you know. The toughest question I am always asked by one of my grandkids is, Pop, Pop, why do you have to go? Pop, Pop, are you coming back? When are you coming back? You know, and it's like, I don't know. You know, it's like, soon. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Yeah, we will. As we read today's verses, I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking when they were standing there and they were talking to Jesus. And at the end of this conversation that they're having with Jesus, all of a sudden, Jesus starts to rise up in front of them. And they're standing there and they're looking as he rises up in front of them and he gets taken up in this cloud. Right there in front of them as they're talking and they're watching. I can only imagine what was going through their heads. I'm sure some of them, if not all, had tears in their eyes. I'm sure some of them were saying, Where are you going? You just got here. It's only been 40 days since they killed you and you got raised from the dead. Where are you going? Lord, don't leave us. Where are you going? And they didn't understand. They were asking themselves, would he come back? He came back before. You think he'll come back this time? What's going on? The question of why do you have to leave was probably on everybody's lips. Lord, why do you have to go? Even though Jesus had spent many, many times with his disciples, three years telling them about this very event, telling them that he had to die, he had to suffer, and he was going to go away, but he would come back. He told them. And I'm sure there was confusion in their minds about what they observed. And they probably looked at each other like, you saw that, right? You saw that, right? And probably Peter said, no, I not see it. No, no, you saw it. Come on. You know, they didn't know what they saw. They didn't know when they would see Jesus again. And maybe some of them thought they didn't understand why he had to go. So today, in our Scripture, in Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, we're going to explore yet another trait of the early church. Another trait that made this church so exciting, so invigorating, so full of life, so full of hope. It's a distinctive, if you will, of the early church, and it was the hope of the imminent return of Jesus Christ back to earth. The hope of his imminent return, his coming again. It's my hope today that we're going to answer several questions that might be on your mind. Questions like, why did he have to go? Why did Jesus have to leave? Why couldn't he have stayed here with his disciples? Secondly, maybe, how's he going to return? In what manner can we expect him? In verse 9, we read this. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. A cloud received him out of their sight. When he had spoken these things means everything that we read from verses 4 through 8 in the last couple of weeks. That was the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. He was telling them that, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to have power. And remember, they asked him, are you going to restore your kingdom at this time? And he said, it's not for you to know the hour, the time, the seasons when the Son of Man will come. But you're going to be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost portions of the world. These were the last words that Jesus spoke to them. And at the end of this conversation, he leaves. He's taken up to heaven right before their eyes. As we said that this passage of Scripture, we can sense the intense feeling that the disciples might have had, watching their beloved the Lord departing from the earth, departing from this world. They would never see his physical body again. Just imagine what they must have thought as they watched him leave. Just imagine in your own hearts. I mean, after all, guys, this was the first century. Men did not go up in the air in anything, let alone fly. And they're standing there looking at him like, that's why I'm sure they're talking around like... You saw that, didn't you? Uh huh. Their mouths were open. They had this source of astonishment. And you know what? I'm sure that they were afraid. I'm sure they were panicked because there he was floating in the midair. Now they've seen a lot of crazy things from Jesus. They've seen him do all kinds of things. You know, they're praying and he walks through doors and walks through walls. And all of a sudden now he's floating before them. I'm sure they're asking, what is going on? You might be asking the same thing. Why did he leave? Why was he taken into heaven? Why is he seated at the right hand of God the Father? Why couldn't he have accomplished the same things today if he stayed? Why couldn't that have happened? So why did he leave? Why did Jesus leave? You know, our Lord's ascension into heaven was an important part of his ministry and is still an important part today. It's an extremely important part today. And I want to show you that. I have four reasons why Jesus had to go to be with the Father. The first one can be found in the Gospel of John. In chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, Gospel of John sixteen five through 15, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going, because I have said these things, your sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, of sins because they do not believe me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come." He will glorify me, for he will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. If Jesus doesn't go to the Father, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. The Holy Spirit doesn't come. This power that we were talking about doesn't happen, it doesn't happen in our lives. So Jesus had to go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit would now come and have full reign over the earth. The third part of the Godhead now, inactive all over the earth. The third part, the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is now on earth doing His part. What's it doing? It's convicting the world of sin, convicting the world of righteousness, convicting the world of judgment, and doing those things. We talked at length about the Holy Spirit being with us. We talked about the Holy Spirit being in us. We talked about the Holy Spirit being upon us, giving us power to do any work that he might ask us to do. If Jesus didn't go to the Father, this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have come. Likewise, number two, Jesus is in heaven. He's our Savior and he's also our interceding priest. He's our high priest who is giving us grace that we need for life and service. And I can look at Hebrews 14 for that one. Oh, excuse me, Hebrews 4. There is no Hebrews 14. Sometimes I tear myself up. I'm sorry. Hebrews Hebrews 4, verses 14. I can see you back there going, where is that Hebrews 14? Come on, what's going on here? Anyhow, in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus, our high priest, is interceding for us with the Father. We talked about him being our intercessor with the Father, the mediator with the Father. He's interceding for us as a high priest intercedes. When they came into the temple, the high priest would take the animal and slaughter it and go into the Holy of Holies. And there he would intercede on behalf of the people. Jesus is now interceding on our behalf with the Father. So that's two. Three, Jesus is also our advocate. And he is our advocate before the Father, an advocate like a lawyer, like the mediator we just said, who forgives us when we confess our sins. And that beautiful scripture is in 1 John. In 1 John 9, we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours also, the whole world. So Christ has to be up there as the advocate to the Father. When we sin, we come before the throne, and we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. So that's the third reason. And finally, in the last chapter of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, Mark 16, verse 19, we see Christ, the head of the church, working with his people on earth, to accomplish his purposes that he has set out to do. In Mark 16, verse 19, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up to new heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accomplishing and accompanying signs. So these are the reasons why he had to go. And we can sit there and go, okay, I can accept that. All right. These are the reasons why he had to go. If he didn't go, none of these would have. And the scriptures clearly show that he had to go to the Father. He had to take his seat, his rightful seat, which is at the right hand of God the Father. A seat, by the way, he still occupies today. He is still on the throne, seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's just waiting for the Father's nudge to say, go get him. He's just waiting that time. Yet while the disciples stood watching, In fact, I'm sure they were doing more than watching. They were staring. They were gawking. Their mouths were probably open. They were probably in this daze as they watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And they couldn't believe what they were seeing, trying to comprehend in their mind what was happening. And while all this was happening, another bizarre event happens. Two men show up out of nowhere, wearing white. And they come in there, and they probably stood there for several minutes watching these guys looking. I could just see them Good these guys talking to each other. Look at these clowns. They're sitting there looking at heaven. He's not even up there anymore. They're still staring. I'm sure minutes had passed. Jesus had gone into the cloud and they're like, they don't want to take their eyes off of heaven because they think he might come back. They don't know what he's doing up there. And these guys are looking around and going, so one of them says, we got to say something. Okay, you say Okay. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This must have been quite a day in the lives of the disciples. And believe me, they've had many days in which to remember when they walked with Jesus. But this was special. First of all, they received the word from Jesus that they were going to get a promise from the Father. That they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Next thing you know, they're watching and Jesus goes up in the air. They're watching as he's taken up in the heaven. Then these two men, no doubt they were angels. No doubt they were angels. They're dressed in white. And they appear out of nowhere, and they talk to them. Can you imagine what happened when they got home that night? I could just see Peter coming in after that and going in the door. All of a sudden, here comes Mrs. Peter coming to the door. She's got her apron on. Hello, honey. How are you? How was your day? You wouldn't believe it if I told you. What a day they had. What a day. So what did the angels intend to say to these guys? Why did the angels come down? What did the angels intend to say to them? Was it a rebuke? There are many who think that this was a rebuke. Many people say that this was a rebuke by the angel. What are you standing there looking up in heaven? It's almost like a lack of faith. He told you he'd be back. Why are you gawking into heaven? I don't think this was a rebuke. I really don't think this was a rebuke. I think these were words that were spoken by the angels were words of comfort. I think they were words of encouragement. They were words of hope. They were just what the disciples needed to hear at that Time and isn't that just like our Lord? Isn't that just like our Lord? Just at the time you need it, you hear a word from Him and you get encouraged, you get comfort, you get hope. That's just like our Lord. I think that's just what's happening here. But these angels came with an extremely specific message. They came with an extremely important message that the disciples had to hear a message that has not lost its importance, a message that is just as important now as it was 2,000 years ago when these angels delivered it. They came to bring a message of hope, I said, a message of comfort. And this is what they said to him, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You know, I find it extremely interesting and so wonderful that we have angels accompanying Jesus at his birth, proclaiming his birth in a wonderful, wonderful way. And now we have angels here at the time of Jesus' ascension into heaven, proclaiming a different story, proclaiming the story of us. Hey, guys, don't worry. He's coming back, and he's coming back for you, and he'll come back to get you, to take you into his own. There are several phrases here in this verse that we need to look at And we should really dwell on. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. First of all, we need to look at the verse, the same Jesus. This is an interesting phrase here. This is obvious referencing the person of Jesus Christ. And, you know, no wonder, if you think about it, when the angel was telling the disciples, he probably pointed and said, this same Jesus, this one, the exact same one, this same Jesus also has another application. And it can be quite comforting. It means Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. His attributes don't change. His character doesn't change. He never ceases to be our Savior. He never ceases to be our friend. The same Jesus as He promised it. He told you He would come back. And this same Jesus has kept His promise time and time and time again. And this same Jesus will now keep the promise and He will come back for you in the future when the time is right. The promise is here that He will come again. That same Jesus, the angel confirmed that Jesus promised. This same Jesus, He will come. So Jesus promised the disciples were to turn. And this is not new to the disciples. It's almost like a reminder That beautiful scripture in John 14, verses 1 through 3. I'm sure you've heard it many, many times. You probably could almost repeat it. I'll read it for you. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus talking. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. That there I am you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And we know that down in verse 6 of chapter 14, Jesus makes this hugely bold and prophetic statement. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So they've heard this before. The disciples, This is not new to the disciples. They've heard it. And this now becomes the longing of every true believer the delight of our hearts and the hope of our faith that we were going to be with Jesus sometime and sometimes soon. This is a doctrine, a major doctrine of our Christian faith and it it separates us again from all other religions. No other religions have this doctrine that their leader would come back. We're the only religion that has this. The Christian faith has this doctrine. We should always be reminding people to look up for your redemption is nigh. Look up for the Lord is coming back. Be on the lookout, be ever watchful, for our Lord is returning. The angels proclaim to the disciples that this same Jesus would return just like he left. The second phrase, he will come in like manner as you see him go into heaven, also will answer some of our questions today. How will Jesus return, and in what manner? And here's where we get into some interesting things here. Here's where we get into things that are called eschatology. Who's the what did Jesus? eschatology. It means the study of the end times. And why is this important to us? Because I'm going to say in a little while that I believe that your view on eschatology dictates the way you live your life right now. Which view do you have? We'll talk about that. There are two main terms used to describe the event of Jesus' return. The first term is the rapture of the church, and the second term is the second coming of Jesus. Both of these messages bring hope to the believer. Now, Some students of Scripture think that these two things are the same. They're the same meaning. However, they are very distinct when you look at the Scriptures and when you pull the Scriptures out. The rapture of the church refers to the event when Jesus comes and snatches true believers immediately into his presence. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, this event is clearly described in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. We're going to read this. It's important. the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This should be great comfort, great hope if you're a true believer. Now there's some words here we have to look at, and we have to look at their meanings in Greek and in Latin. In verse 17, Paul uses the words caught up. It means violently snatched away in the Greek. The word is harpazo in the Greek. Harpazo, violently snatched away. But when you translate it also as rapture or raptus in the Latin version, it's where we get our word rapture. You are sure.
0: Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. We encourage all our listeners to spend time daily in the Bible, learning from the timeless text that your Creator has given you. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor Dave's teachings from this series in Acts or explore messages from other books of the Bible, you can do so by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. If you'd like a CD copy of today's message, we'd be happy to send you one. Just give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. We're so blessed to be able to share God's Word with you with each new edition of Assure Hope, but we want to encourage you to find a local church to attend regularly as well. Being a part of the body of Christ gives you a place to learn and grow with other imperfect people while providing an outlet for your unique God-given gifts. If you're in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come by Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship and Bible study, and childcare is available. We're excited to have you join us. For more information and to get directions, visit assurehoperadio.com. That brings us to the end of our program for today. Thanks for tuning in to Pastor Dave's study in the book of Acts today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.